And we are rolling. <laughs> Come on, somebody's got to get that song. Got to get the reference as well. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And don't do this. Mass movement destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow. It is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Mass Moon Presents, sponsored by Engineer Records. My name is Chris and absolutely insistent on joining me again is Till. Oh, fuck off. The rigs to my Murtau. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true actually, except I'm not some terrible bloody, you know, anti-Semite. <laughs> and I don't go, I don't go try to, to shout like, Jesus to coppers and things. I don't have a mullet anymore. Well, no. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Who's been, that, yeah. thank you to everybody who's been checking us out. We truly appreciate it. And knowing that our voices are being heard in 17 different countries all over the world. 17 now? 17. Really gives us the warm and fuzzy, doesn't it, Tim? It does. It gives me a, gives me a tingly feeling in my balls. <laughs> Remember that all our shows are available on Spotify, Apple Music and Amazon Music. So be sure to check those out. And if you want to get involved with the show, then why not head over to our Patreon page and show us some love there too. We'll definitely make it worth your while. <laughs> well, Chris will anyway. <laughs> if you show Chris some love, he'll be doing his little dance. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, you've all seen Silence of the Lambs and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Buffalo Bill special. Mangina. We've been hard at work again to try and bring you another great show and this week we'll be bearing our souls as we talk about the movies that changed our lives. We'll be taking a deep dive into crossover legends, The Accused. And speaking of legends, we also spoke to John Bush former singer of Anthrax, uh, and now back with his original band, Armored Saint. We've got a new album out now called Punch in the Sky, so we'll check out what he had to say later. First, Tim is mad as hell, and he's not going to take it anymore. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Online fascism of Doctor Who fandom. Rancid Doctor Who fandom, I should say. Rancid because Doctor Who For the most fandom. part, right, Doctor Who fandom is absolutely awesome. It's open yeah. and it's inviting and it's all-inclusive. Yeah. And, but there is a tiny minority of little Whovians, you know, okay. usually fact-based dwelling dickheads, <laughs> who think they're better than everybody else, Okay. who refuse to accept that the Doctor is female, who bully and cajole other fans when they dare to express an opinion that they don't share, and just generally behave, behave like loathsome, repugnant human beings. It's not like it's not bad enough that you're in the seventies. If you admitted to being a Doctor Who fan, or even in the early eighties, you were bullied by the outside world anyway. These morons yeah. have to bully the rest of fandom because they don't agree with their completely blinkered view of how the universe is. It's so is that still a thing? Is there people seriously still arguing about the Doctor being a female? Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's, it's pointless. Do you find there's a sort of certain demographic demographic of person? Is it like old school Doctor Who fans? Is it no? I think it's you know forty year old males who've never had a hand job, right? Okay. For the most part, okay. 
Dirty Nerds. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I don't, and I don't say that lightly because I'm not an oil painting by any stretch of the imagination. Right? Yeah. Neither is Chris. You know, in a, in a good looking competition, <laughs> I believe that we would come out sort of even though Christopher might, you know, <laughs> win it. <laughs> Just because um, they've got a few years on me, that's all. You might think, oh, he's only, he'll last a bit longer. <laughs> yeah, but what I think with me, at least if they killed me while they were doing it, they could have my wallet bugger off, couldn't they? You know what I mean? It's just like a, it's a blessing for both of us. Right. I yeah. get to die happy and they get what miserable, meager possessions I have. So these are on, on the forums, on Facebook? Where... Yeah, it's basically, it's, it's like Twitter is a high, I'm, I'm not a big Twitter fan anyway. I tend to, yeah, not, I mean, a lot of people say that's, that's. I tend not to use Twitter because it's pretty awful. Yeah. And it brings out the worst of everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, you like chest thumping bloody rhetoric about things people know nothing about, and it really does bring out people's nasty, nastier sides. Yeah. Especially in who found them, and it's still toxic with this idea that oh, the doctor can't be a woman. Doctor, be what she wants. She can be what she wants. Yeah. End the story. Are these the same people though who had a problem with Matt Smith coming in? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the thing is, like most of them, there's no pleasing them really. No, absolutely no pleasing yeah. them. I mean, like, my first doctor memory is is seeing the deadly assassin on TV and watching like Tom Baker's foot get caught in yeah. a train track and thinking he's going to run down my train, he's going to run down my train. This is what 77, 78? This yeah. Is, it's just after um, Liz Slade and Elizabeth. Liz Slade leaves as as. as um, Lady as uh, Sarah Jane. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, before Romana comes, not right. Romana, Lila comes in. Yeah, Louise James says Lila comes in. So it's yeah, seventy seven, seventy eight, somewhere around there. Um, so I, I'm you know quite a long time Doctor Who fan. Yeah, and I I appreciate it on. I'm not going to say any more levels than anybody else because I know people who deep dive into it and are just wonderful, absolutely human beings. Big shout out to Tony Filer, who is the biggest Hoovian I know. Shout out Tony. And one of the sweetest blokes you will ever meet. I met him briefly at your book Yeah, he's, yeah, he yeah, is, he's yeah. just a darling. He's an absolute. Yeah. I, call, I often refer to him as a brother from another mother because he's just <laughs> really. We should get Tony on with it. I well, think we should get Tony on. Deep dive, Doctor Who. Oh, mate, you'll be, we'd be here for like six hours. <laughs> easily. Um, but Tony's one end of fandom and there's another complete end of it which yeah. is just absolutely boring. So what would these um, these fans, um, what would please them, do you think? Nothing. If, absolutely nothing. Do they want David Tennant back and David Tennant running into the ground? No, <laughs> I think some of them haven't been happy with the show since they came back. They're not content okay. to know that the Doctor, Doctor Who's back on TV. They're not content to see another generation of people enjoying this show, or generations. So they just wanted it to be it's what very, it was in the 80s. Yeah, 80s. it's a very possessive, narrow-minded way of seeing something. And everything yeah. has to evolve, and everything has to move forward. Yeah. It's like I was saying, we don't like the Star Wars prequels, but we can understand the need for them. Yeah, yeah, you know? very much Because so, yeah. you have to be, you have to accept that <clears> nothing stays as it is. Stasis is, is deadly. Yeah. You know, you have to have momentum and anything. And that's all Doctor Who is doing, it's moving forward. And yes, it's changing, but that's the, that's the necessity of, of a science fiction show. That's yeah. something, you've got a character essentially immortal. They're not going to stay the same. They're not going to be chasing their tail week after week and doing exactly the yeah. same thing. They're going to move on, they're going to move forward. And that's what the show's done. Do you think sometimes it's, it's just their um, anger at their own lives? And I, I, I mean this. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I, why I say this is because and I think you've experienced this too. Mm. With Star Wars, the prequels, and Doctor Who coming back 
yeah. in 2006, five, whatever it was. Um, no, five, I think. Yeah. It should be three years. Yeah. I've now, that's given me, I've two of my kids yeah. have enjoyed that. I've, I've been able to experience Doctor Who and Star Wars through their eyes, yeah. which has then got them looking backwards to the old stuff. Right. And now they're Doctor Who fans and Star Wars fans. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I've enjoyed it with them. I've enjoyed seeing it through their eyes. So I think, yeah, these guys who never left their bedroom are just sort of shouting and... Uh, it's, you know, literally, literally screaming, screaming the walls of their own echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because nobody cares apart from them. Yeah, you know? yeah. Everybody else has accepted that you need to move forward and you need to move on. I just don't like the way they handle it. I yeah. think the way they handle it is, is abhorrent. If you have something to say to somebody, you say it to their face. You don't yeah. send anonymous bullying messages through Twitter. You don't send anonymous bullying messages through Facebook. You you know you stand up and you say it to somebody's face. If you really feel that strongly about something, you will express your opinion to that person yeah. in person. This this is what social media does, though, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, it, it gives you that uh, that cover. Yeah, you can just spout as much. It as Makes you want. everybody courageous. Yeah, I, you know I. I don't know if it's because we're from a generation where you had to say that to somebody's face and you're going to say it. We've said it multiple choice. times on the cast. Yeah. Um, you know, I've never, I'd never speak to anybody um, online. I'd never seen it to anybody online. That I wasn't willing to say to their face. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. They've sat there. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't say it to somebody's face, don't say it online. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut and move along. General life room. Yeah. Get in your own little targets back to like yeah. sad fray and spend yeah. your time there like because I don't really give a shit about you yeah so get a fucking life yeah exactly I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore oh, okay let's move on let's let's, let's happier up slowly shall we let's, ha- let's talk Disney when we talked we talked about Tomorrowland a couple of episodes ago but um let's give Disney some love so at the moment I'm enjoying um Phineas and Ferb are you watching the series at last uh, I've seen. I, I watched the series with right. my uh, my oldest son uh, originally when right. he went back when he was uh, as he was coming out. We were enjoying yeah. them then, and the subsequent movies they've had. But the new movie dropped for the last. Yeah, I've still not seen. It. I've not had a chance to watch, it. and I feel really bad. Yeah, right? because I because I interviewed Jeff Marsh, Swampy Marsh. No way. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to <laughs> Swampy Marsh for the Star Wars special. I did. For Phineas and Ferb. No way. Yeah, That's yeah. so cool. Um, and he, see, I was. There are a few interviews I bricked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of them. Yeah. And um, I gave him the cheesiest opening line ever. Oh no! Go on. Which was, so swampy. What are we gonna do today? Oh no! Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but did he, he was, did he respond? Did he? He was nice enough just to laugh about it. So I, I figured, you know... That's not so bad, then. Yeah, yeah. Do to, do to lovely guys, so yeah. <laughs> it's such a good show, isn't it? It's, oh, man, it's so funny. It's, it's got um, stuff adults can relate to. Um, the whole Doofenshmirtz thing is just... It's yeah. one of the... F- oh, greatest running yeah. gags in yeah. any show ever. It's just a piss take of every bad guy in every... Well, it's, um, it's, yeah, it just rips the piss out of you. Yeah. Know, the supervillain, the secret lair, and you know how incompetent yeah. they really are. Yeah. And his well, relationship with Perry the Platypus, <laughs> you know, they can't live with each so other. So Perry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perry the Platypus. And his innatos. Everything is an innato because it just makes it sound better. Yeah, yeah. Because it has that sort of, you know, supervillain esque quality to it. <laughs> but a rocket destructive innato, I shall. Uh, what is it you made to me before? It was uh, something innate or um, innate or <laughs> innate or innate or. 
But yeah. it's, it's that song, um, Squirrel Up Pants. No, the, the little Indian kid, when he's, somebody give me a grave. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, like, you know, the, the constant sort of struggle of the overachiever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I need it. You, know, you need that val- that constant validation. I love um, just Candace's constant struggle to expose um, them. Expose them. <laughs> and they get some most ridiculous stuff. But, but like, it all goes back to normal, just as Candace is about to pull the trigger. But are you, are you an older sibling or are you a younger sibling? Me? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an older. Right. So you do you understand Candace's struggle? Yeah. Because your younger brother obviously used to get away with tons and tons of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, like, my brother always got away with getting everything and used yeah. to blame it on me, right? When we were kids, for instance, we had separate bedrooms. Okay. He was smoking cigarettes out of his window. <laughs> yeah. Right? And he left burn marks on his window ledge. Yeah. So it was me that got the blame for it because I was smoking outside of his window. So I got <laughs> the shit kicked out of me by my old man, right? <laughs> there were black scuff marks on the skirting board at one yeah. time. Right? I, was, I used to wear those big old white, terrible basketball boots. Yeah, yeah. From the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I wore them. I take thrash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like thrash uniform number two. Yeah. But so he he did his skirt marks on the skirting board, and he wore black trainers right? and the black marks on the skirting board. So who got the blame? I did. Right? Oh. And he's the best one. He's the he's the he's the fucking kicker. Right? Yeah. Another one that still pisses me off to this day. Right? <laughs> I had moved out of the house. Right? Yeah. I had been gone for maybe eighteen months. Yeah. So I get around there one afternoon, and my aunt Audrey comes out and she goes. Fucking wax me on the head. <laughs> what the fuck's that for? And she goes, porno mags, the dirty books, the mucky books, right? What <laughs> mucky books? What mucky books? The mucky books underneath your brother's mattress. <laughs> what? So, what? The, the mucky things. books, I turned over your brother's mattress and I found a bunch of mucky books there and they were yours. What? <laughs> and why were they my books? That's impossible. <laughs> But it's, it's just that constant struggle you can relate to because yeah, your younger yeah. brother always blames you for yeah. everything. I just love that um, in every episode you kind of see her on the verge of a break. Candy's almost on the verge of a breakdown. Yeah. And she's got like the flicker in her eyes or like her eyes are like sort of... Well, yeah, she's like a Herbert Long vision. Yeah. From, like the, the Pink Panther. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like she gets to taste victory. She said, it's just there. Yeah. you to reach out and go to get it. And then it's just like snatched away. Bang. Yeah. Bang. And, you, and you're like, oh, no, not again. Fantastic series. Yeah. So I went through it all with my son, who's now 13. Right. And I'm now, my seven-year-old son has discovered it. Uh, so I'm getting to go back through it all, and they keep pumping out good stuff. Man. It's, just, it's just so funny. So check that. That's on um, Disney Plus at the moment. It's called... Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Candice Against the Universe. Doogies, bruises, trumpets and losers. Don't touch the fucking vertical. Don't touch the fucking horizontal because that's television. This is the Mass Movement Podcast. Take care, rock hard, rock heavy, rock animal, and may your children be born with hair. Let's talk Space Mountain, too. I know what you love, Space Mountain. Oh, Space, Mountain gives, Space Mountain gives me the chubs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Rick Flair likes it. Oh, Rick Flair loves it. And, you know, I, I, can, I understand why Rick Flair loves yeah. it. Yeah. So... I don't know, it's just this idea of a roller coaster in the dark and it's so cheesy and so wonderful. Yeah. Like its own sound. I mean, like, in, in Florida, it doesn't have its own soundtrack. Yeah. There's no music on when you play it. But okay. if you go on the one in Disneyland, it's got a soundtrack. So when you're riding it, 
it's like so why is that why they haven't I don't know but they're, they're different as well so like in Florida you're in single seater cars yeah yeah Disneyland you're in double seater cars okay that's interesting so they are completely different essentially it's the same track and stuff but there's yeah. small differences which make it wonderful okay and um, so we one of my favourite stories was first Martin is we went, went to Florida when I was uh, 17 yeah and went on the ride and my aunt didn't like it or Audrey didn't like it and then we went to California got her to go on it once yeah. and she didn't like it very much and then I got her to go on this queue which is queuing up but we go on oh it's alright don't worry about it it's alright don't worry about it right? so we get all the way and it winds in and you get in and she goes oh hell it's that bloody space mountain <laughs> I'm gonna no, you can't get off now you've got to stay on because you know, you're stuck here because yeah, yeah. we're in the queue oh hell because right? then I that smacks me on the head <laughs> we get up to get on it and she's like she turns on the, the, the kid putting her in and she goes I don't even want to be here and he sits down hits me with a bag again and he's just looking at me like dude I'm not getting involved in this shit <laughs> but it's this idea which you know you launch into this sort of intergalactic mission there's nothing more different to me yeah yeah it's like uh, when we were in 2015 the first ride very first ride I had to go on was Space Mountain yeah, it's it's, 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 it's all about imagination, isn't it? Yeah, it's Which, up there with the haunted mansion, just yeah. below it. I think. Okay, it's yeah, like you say, it's um, it's, it's the essence of Disney, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's why I wrote that song about you know. Yeah, for ATFC. Yeah, damn, we should have played that. <laughs> <laughs> Will you hey, drop it in now, Chris? Drop. Chris drops in Space Mountain and one, okay. two, this is ATOT with Space Mountain. <laughs> Woo! And you can ride Space Mountain all night long!
So there you go. Now we know what we're on about. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the fact I got to write a, ro- a, a, a hardcore song about a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> and Disney, and just drop it in the set, and like nobody noticed. Like, okay, I can put a bit of Ric Flairism here, and I can use that. But essentially, it's just about the roller coaster. I remember, like, when we were like, yeah, do we do a hardcore band, yeah, man, that's cool. And then, you know, here's our first song, or here's our, I got a new song. What's that about? It's about like you know life growing up in the streets of like you know fighting Portugal stuff. No, it's <laughs> all <No> Disney. <laughs> Tim, I'm wearing a bandana for Christ's sake. <laughs> well, like, the, the thing is, right, I figured like we're dudes in our forties. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I, I I'm not writing songs about you know respect and chest dump and all that kind of stuff because I never could write that kind of stuff. It, <laughs> yeah. just, it just has no meaning for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that match nonsense. So what am I going to write songs about? What do I like? I like comic books, Disney and Dungeons and Dragons. That's what I'm going to write the songs about. Exactly, That's yeah. what I wrote the songs about. Exactly. So, um, oh, and wrestling too. There's a couple of songs about Ric Flair and there's, you know, yeah. songs about Disney because there's, um, there's a couple of references to Disney and all that. Yeah, yeah. Most of the songs. But, and there's that song about one of my other favourite songs which we should also drop in here because you know big big love to Toss <laughs> so <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so all right. so we wrote that song What's in Richard's Suitcase yes right? and this is this all stems from uh, Comic Con a Cardiff Comic Expo yeah and um, so it was me and Gav went and we met with Bunky and John and Carrie yeah. And Gav, at this point, Gavin never met Toz. Yeah. And Buggy never met Toz. It's like, so we're going to meet him in the, uh, the Weatherspoons across from the Ramada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Gav's like, well, what, well, we know when, when, when it seems like uh, you'll know him when you see him. Yeah. And so Toz struts in, right, in like this really smart purple suit. Yeah. And Toz's voice says, all right, my loves. Right? <laughs> Big dreads flowing everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And he had this suitcase with him, right? And it was you could drag it behind. And, and so I was like, "What's in Richard's suitcase? What, what's what's going to be in there?" I'm like, "Gab, you don't want to know what's going to be in there." <laughs> the, the, the best of the day was a lady's head in a jar, yeah. a couple of sex toys, a big bag of roofies, and some, and, <laughs> and some letters from Columbia. So that's where that song was born from. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was actually some Star Wars toys that he was going to trade on the day. Yeah, yeah. Because Richard. Uh, the possibilities were Which was a toy dealer. He yeah. used to buy and sell toys and he's very, very successful and he's... You know, but equally, there could have been a body in there. Equally, there could have been anything. <laughs> there could have been big bags of cocaine and anything. And he's he is one of my oldest friends in the world. I've known him since I was seven years old. How did we get from Space Mountain? To- oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, we, I mean, going back to Disney, I mean, we talk yeah. about Disney a lot on this Podcast, fanatic, yeah, and I hope it comes across that way because anybody who's been there, anybody listening who's been to Disney will surely have Understand. that same uh, love and passion for it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's, it's a place where you um, you can just lose yourself and be the you often you've said this before the best version of you, the best version, yeah, you of yourself. Yeah, and and everybody's there, everybody who's there is the best version of themselves. It's the one place where I feel comfortable being on large groups, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, nobody's there to have a bad time, yeah, nobody's there to have a bad day, yeah, everybody leaves that shit at the door, yeah, they just go in there to absolutely enjoy themselves and embrace the whole thing. But that, one of the things I love about like um, California, about Disneyland, there and, and Disney World. Is I love to go and see the, the original rides, like the things the nine old men originally put together. So yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In Disneyland, you know, like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, or the Jungle Cruise, yeah. the Haunted Mansion, 
Pirates of the Caribbean, Enchanted Tikkun, they're the things I love and embrace. I mean, I, I, as much as I love things like Space Mountain, I just love that original spirit and, and knowing yeah. that it's still there and knowing that it infects you the minute you walk in. And yeah. Every fight you're being, and you just want to have a great time. It was. It was. You can go and it's like a living museum to the man, to a man who just wanted to provide fun for families, and it's yeah. like. And it, you can still go and see those original visions, and that's what's uh, magical about it for me. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I, I said my dream holiday, right? He's like a month in Disney World. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fully paid up, dining yeah. club, full, you know, money's no objective. So. Yeah. In order for me to have that, all you bastards have to buy my books. <laughs> buy, buy my books, book. read them. Buy them, buy them, buy them, buy them. <laughs> read them, enjoy them, so I can go off to Disney World. And <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Igor Cavalera from Pepric, Cavalera Conspiracy, and you guys are listening to Mass Movement Podcast. Okay, cool, let's move on. You've been watching um, the Harley Quinn cartoon. Oh, man. Have you not seen it yet? No, so this is oh, the... Uh, it's on the DC um, platform, yeah? Yeah, but it's also on E4. Which, is it really? Yeah, the first, the entire first series is on E4. Okay. So it's Kali Coco from yeah, Big from Bang, Bang Theory. Yeah, she voices from, Harley Quinn, yeah? And it's not what you think it is at all because it is it is dark adult humour it's really? a proper grown up take on Harley Quinn this is her um, post Joker isn't it after her split up the yeah, Joker yeah yeah so her and the Joker split in the first episode yeah um, and then it's about sort of Harley trying to find her own feet and become her own person yeah um, with a bit of help from Poison Ivy Poison Ivy yeah Frank the Plant and it's just so funny I didn't realise it was on before. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it should be on all four, so you'd be able to download it and watch it. It's just so funny. It's it's yeah. It's just a it's proper dark superhero yeah. humor. You know, if, if superheroes said fuck all the time, this is what it'd be like. <laughs> and they are. They nothing is out of bounds. Yeah. Literally, you know, nothing's taboo. They just go fuck it. Go with it. Have yeah, fun yeah. and just run with it and it is really really funny and it's made me a Harley Quinn fan and, which I never was before I watched this really yeah I just, I've always thought she's a great character see I thought see, she brings I, another dimension I to have Joker. a lot see Harley Quinn's one of DC's the DC bad guys my problem with DC is that there's a lack of imagination when they name their villains yeah yeah complete lack of imagination it's okay like, what's this one though he's got a cold gun with Captain Cold <laughs> what's this yeah. dude do throw his boomerang to Captain Boomerang <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah yeah got you. You, there is zero imagination yeah yeah what's this big a thing called it's called Solomon Grundy well, Solomon Grundy born on Monday goes to the pole let's do that oh for the love of God <laughs> so that's what they did that with Harley and obviously that just yeah it, it's, it sort of it struck a chord to me like it immediately actually, yeah it made yeah. me laugh it made me see maybe they can actually have fun and not be so up their own backsides occasionally yeah. and just have fun with the universes they've created and I kind of enjoy that do the movies um, swing you anyway like the, which ones the Harley Quinn uh, sorry the Suicide Squad movies I kind of like the Suicide Squad film I'm looking forward to seeing the new Suicide Squad film yeah. a lot because mm. that just looks fun yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It describes a 70s war movie when, in which everybody dies and there's lots of explosions. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm so down for that. And it's done by James Gunn as well. So yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galaxy. Yeah. He did I'm well done. with that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm really down did. with that. Yeah. So. so that's on E4 or on Law 4, yeah? 
Harley yeah, Quinn. Yeah, it should be. You just go onto War Four, stick in Harley Quinn. It should just all pop up. So make sure you check That's that out. That's how I saw it. I've got DC. I've got the DC. There's no more DC. Yeah, it's gone now, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've got that. I, you know, I'm not going to get it. I'm still pissed off the fact that DC sold Doom Patrol to another subscription yeah, channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I got pissed for. I'm not paying extra for Doom Patrol. Much as I want to see it, I'll watch it on my own terms. Thank you very much. Titans was amazing. <laughs> I really want to see Doom Patrol, but I'm not going to give all that money for it. No, no. Yeah. So go um, check it out. Go check out the Harley Quinn cartoon on War Four E Four. One of the fours. One of the fours. <laughs> All the fours. Four to the four. Let's have a trap in. Okay, we like a cover. We like it when it's a Ramones cover. This is called I Believe in Miracles. It's by a band called Intellectual, and this is from their covers EP. One of three four. One of three four. So that was Antelectual with I Believe in Miracles, which of course is a Ramones cover. 
that's from their cover covers EP, um, which is available on Engineer Records. Go check that out straight away. Hi there, this is H from Acid Rain, and you are listening to the Mass Movement Podcast because you're a sensible, clever, smart individual. Tim. Yes, sir. What film changed your life? Star Wars. Film or films? Star Wars. Star Wars did. Star Wars. Um, it depends what you classify as changing your life, really, isn't it? Like, there's films that, like... O- opened your eyes, sort of influenced you... Star Wars was the first one I remember actually having a massive impact on me. Yeah. After that was Flash Gordon. Okay. Which is still my favourite science fiction film of all time. Yeah. Yeah, and because it's just so cheesy and wonderful. But yeah, what's your, what's, what's your first science fiction film that changed your life? Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, that was the first Star Wars film you saw in the cinema? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, mind-blowing. Um, I was probably aware of Star Wars at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I'd seen it. Um, so Empire Strikes Back, so what was I? I was five, five when that came out. Nice. Um, I'd see. I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back, and as a five-year-old, I was sort of, oh, my God, this is crazy! What? There's another one I can go and watch now. Oh, you know, whereas on TV at Christmas or wherever, <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> it was a different age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or video shop, you know. It was like. Uh, yeah, so Empire Strikes Back for me, that was the... Um, well, that, a video machine, you think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more civilised weapon from a better age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people our age would say Star Wars or, you know, one of the sequels to that, but, you know, we're, it's, it's true. true. It's true, because, we're, because of the generation we are. I mean, like, it changed movie, the movie landscape. The other, like, there's other films as well, like An like, American World from London. Yeah. That changed the way I saw horror movies. It's yeah. still my favourite horror movie of all time. Okay. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, because it's just the way it mixes really, really dark humour yeah. with gore and sort of yeah. ridiculousness. But if I was going to, like, while it's my favourite horror movie, my guilty pleasure horror movie is The Raven, which isn't oh, even a horror yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is um, a Roger Cornwell film. Yeah, yeah. Boris Karloff, um, yeah. Peter Laurie, and Vincent Price. Because, you know, it's, it's Peter Laurie drunk off his tits all the way through <laughs> this film. And he, he has this magical duel with Boris, with Boris Karloff and they're trying to cast spells on each other. Yeah. It. And he's got this, he gets, Peter Laurie gets his wand out and Boris Karloff brings out and he just flops down. <laughs> and it's like, they were all, the only line he said was, you dirty old man. It's literally... <laughs> yeah. It's that sort of childish irreverent yeah. humour that, that I love. You know? my, my other one, because I always uh, tapped into emotional characters right. for whatever reason. Um, Rocky 2. Rocky 2? Yeah. I remember being, being on TV um, and do the Rocky movies always started with the end of the previous movie. Yeah. So you just had this guy crying for his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was just, I was in straight away and then he's in hospital and I'm like, I just I, I was a, I was a Rocky fan that moment. I wanted to hear more about this guy's story. See, everybody always harps on about Rocky, but if you talk to wrestling, for me, it's always first blood. That's his greatest role. That first, yeah, that first film I'm John is just immense. I, I find him very similar. Like I'm, again, I, ta- I I watched First Blood a few years later, and I had the same sort of emotions I did with Rocky. Yeah. Um, why is this? Why are they being like this to this guy? I couldn't understand it. You know, I was a yeah. kid. This guy wants to go into a town or something to eat. Why are they not around him? 
You know, those people are bastards, and they, it's, yeah. the way that was, it's like the outsider syndrome, the, the, the loner. And yeah. I guess from the way you're treated when you're young, maybe, and way, the way the world sees you, you can relate to yeah. outsider characters more. I always mm. end up re- relating to loners now. I mean, I, I kind of like Knight Rider, you know? Yeah. Uh, one man can make a difference, you know. Um, it's Knight Rider is like awful. <laughs> it's <just laughs> dreadful. I, I do know you've got to be of an age, I think. And I think. Yuri just slightly above. Yeah, and, and I've met David Hasselhoff, so... Yeah, yeah. I was on know. the money for Night Rider. Uh, I was right on the money age. You know what? I, I couldn't... <laughs> After meeting Hasselhoff, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he was dressed as Michael Knight. I mean, this is this is only yeah, maybe 10 years ago, yeah. maybe a bit longer than that. And he literally stank a cigarette and cheap whiskey. <sighs> and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And you just man. think... Dude, you know, no, my, that, you are not Michael Knight. I'd be devastated. You are certainly not Mitch from Baywatch at the moment because <laughs> you are just, you know, I'd, you're, I'd you're living your best life, obviously, but it's yeah. not my idea of best life and it's not the image I, yeah, yeah. I have of you up here. Yeah. Especially not when I met David Warner the same day. Yeah. And, you know, it's like <laughs> David Warner is awesome and then you're you and it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just couldn't get into my rider. So let's continue this um, sort of. Uh, personal thing we're going on right. you know what let's talk personal experience with with jobs okay best and worst jobs so best Shit. or just have worst some worst go on in. yeah <laughs> a mascot dressed as a mascot down track of a oh yeah costume yeah okay um i have a profound a deep and profound respect for those people for anybody who works in an amusement park dresses the character who walks around because after a week of being thumped and kicked by every little bastard and their parents I know <laughs> right while your costume and not being able to react yeah 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 it just opens your eyes to the shitty way people can behave <laughs> so I got hit so hard one, of the, one day right, that I literally saw stars <laughs> Well, was that for no reason just the fact that I was walking up and down I imagine it was hot and sweaty as well it was fucking horrendous and heavy and it heavy. stunk yeah like a, a lifetime of people sweating in there ah, it's, it was foul it's like literally the worst I've ever had and you know I, was it minimum wage as well at the time yeah so I it was it like was. Uh, two quid something an hour <sighs> Jesus I'd be hit that hard right <laughs> For no reason, and I get kicked up the you get kicked up the arse every ten minutes. You could literally time it ten, nine, eight, kick up the arse. There we go. Because like, it's tunnel vision too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that boot nearly went right up my arsehole. <laughs> it's tunnel vision. Yeah. So by the time you turn around, they've just got. But you the can't back do here. anything about it anyway. You can't react because you yeah. don't know if it's kids or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. Doing this to you, so you can't react in any way, shape, or form. So I have a I have a profound respect for anybody who has to do that. Here. I would never ever. Do, Give That's anybody brutal. any shit because it's, it's, hor- it's horrendous. Yeah, yeah. So, what was your worst? Mine's weird. Mine's best and worst is one job. Oh, okay. Um, so, it's ro- being a roadie. Um, <laughs> I did it for about three, four years in the early 2000s. And it's the best times and the worst of times. The work is the most backbreaking, grueling work. I think I've ever been involved with just unloading sort of 15, 20 lorries if you're in a stadium. Um, so what, you're doing this at, at 
Thai I was doing it uh, all over the country. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, um, with working with some of the most arseholeish rock stars, and even worse, their own personal crew think they're rock stars, and they've they're they're on tour working with different crews all the time, and they're cranky as fuck, and they just want to fucking they think they can bark orders at you. Mm. The amount of fights that go on daily uh, was horrific. But the upside to that is you meet a lot of good, cool people. You, I get to talk, I get to take Rob Halford's um, Harley Davidson out on the stage. Mm. Um, I get to sort of. Um, so you worked? Did you work that Judas Priest show in Cardiff then? I mean, yeah, it was Judas Priest with Scorpion supporting. Yeah, and there was a point. Uh, so the lights went down, and Rob Halford had a sort of like an ego ramp, like a, I'm the singer sort of ramp. Yeah. That went out into the crowd, and somebody, um, one of the crew, had forgotten. To put the British flag in the end, in the pole in the end of his, his eagle ramp. So the lights go down, back in music playing. British steel, so yeah. Yeah. And who do they see coming on stage, first of all? <laughs> Me with a British flag! <laughs> <laughs> doing your little Junior yeah, yeah. Jackie, woo! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I worked for Motley Crew. That was mm. that was fun. Um, you know, <laughs> my, job, my job that day, or one of the jobs um, that day, was working with Tommy Lee's. Um, roadie right. uh, we'd done everything we needed to do by 2 o'clock so we were just hanging around by 2 o'clock so I had the CIA to myself the Cardiff International Media to myself with Tommy Lee's drum kit so did you have I, a little play? I had a little play I wasn't allowed to <laughs> but I had a little play <laughs> and so yeah it's little cool moments like that you know and like but then there's other ones where Elton John gets you to decorate and I mean decorate carpet the entire upper floor of the arena Move in, move in his double bed, and basically make a hotel room for him in the in the arena because he's playing two nights there. And he decides, oh no, I'm just going to get a helicopter to Cardiff Bay, get a limo to the arena, limo back out, helicopter home. So you you put in like sort of an 18 hour shift for absolutely nothing. <laughs> See, I I it's that attitude where none of you gives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about me. Yeah, yeah. I I can't. And he wanted like there was particular scents he wanted um, for the room, and there was old oh, asshole problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like this old um, all this antique furniture. Like literally, we were moving a bedroom into the arena. It was like this antique sort of chest of drawers with clothes in. It, it was so confusing to me. It was really strange. And all these neck curtains I had to go up, and it was all for nothing. I am forty-eight years old, and I will never understand people as yeah. long as I live. I just, I just cannot. You know what I mean? Dude? And there's moments where, like, I was unpacking a drum kit, and like the guy goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" You go, "I'm going, what's the matter?" And he goes, "You got to, you got to wear gloves with that." I was like, "Why?" Well, I, well, I just set a drum kit up. He was like, "That's a Ferrari finish, for for a Ferrari red Ferrari of 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 me of um coloured of sprayed that drum kit, painted that drum kit." That's a Ferrari finish. You've got to pick it up with gloves. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. This is fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, I worked for WWE and it was, um, again, a similar situation to Motley Crue. Yeah. So we're all done by sort of two o'clock. Oh, there's a ring there. <laughs> and underneath, there's um, their toys they all play with. Do you know like the barbed wire stuff? Yeah, yeah. So me and fellow roadies are now battering each other with trash cans in the, in the WWE ring. So, you know, there's little perks out, but it was, horrendously you know, the work was back breaking boiling hot conditions 
uh, the pay wasn't good. You just do what you had to do, but it was the rewards were cool. So that that's why it's kind of my worst and my best. best job. What's your best job? Rifle instructor. Rifle instructor. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I taught rifle in American summer camp. No, well, that's pretty cool. So, um, there for twelve weeks. Yeah. Teaching American children how to shoot rifles, fire rifles, and proper discipline. These children have now grown up. Mm-hmm. And they're shooting people. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all my fault. Colonel taught me. But it was, uh, yeah, yeah. It was nice. Such a good gig, though, because yeah. you know, uh, with uh, Camp America, so I, they fly you out there. Yeah. You get like a basic wage, and you get to work on this camp. I live on a summer camp, and um, so every morning I would. That was well, this camp. is the early 90s, yeah? 92. 92, yeah, okay. So I would, uh, yeah, every day you get up, I do the camp counselor thing, because you're in a cabin with like eight, eight different kids. Yeah. Uh, you're on your co counselor, so you make sure the kids have breakfasted and then they get ready for their routine, this and then I go and pick up like two rifles and um, use about 200 rounds of ammunition. Yeah. Um, I pick firing pins up separately which I'd always put in the safe fit the firing pins so make the rifles ready and then take them up carry this and it's a dead weight like that's all live ammo you're using yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. all oh, life two to ammunition yeah, yeah. Um, set everything up um, prep everything for the first classes coming in yeah so you'd have like uh, 200 250 rounds maybe before lunch and then the same after lunch yeah as well and it's quite a lot of ammunition that you're firing off every single day and it was uh, six days a week gig right so you have one day off yeah yeah you often do I think as long as you were back and you have an evening off as well yeah once you would leave the camp but it was yeah it was just great I was working in um, a town called Honesdale in Pennsylvania okay which is have you seen the long kiss goodnight yeah 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 Yeah. that's that town that's where I that's where I was like six miles outside the Town. Oh, that's so, cool. Spent a lot of time in Homestead, an absolutely lovely place. Um, and it was just a great gig. It got to meet loads and loads of people. And, yeah. You know, I only got, nearly got shot once, which was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> which I figure is, is, is a lucky break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There because somebody's taken a round and put in the rifle when they're not there and fired down range at the instructor while he was down there. So, yeah. So it's, only, it's only the ones. It came within, like, close enough so I heard it go past. I hit the board. Wow. And felt the breeze. Wow. So that oh, was, lucky, Steve. Right. That's fine. Man. Got to meet some amazing people. It's just, it's, that was the same summer I got uh, run over and fell off a, <laughs> the third floor of a motel in the same Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see that one, yeah. But, you know, drunk, so I just bounced. <laughs> and now I feel all, I feel every single one of these injuries now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's like, uh, yeah, you shook them off in it. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's because you, you, it's the memories you build up along with that. As yeah, well, yeah. Because you do the gig, and I, it's like we're going to, um, remember when, did you used to go trips and stuff? Yeah. While you work on the camp. And we went to Hershey World. Right. In Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, you know, Hershey's version of Disney. Yeah. And George Thorogood and the Destroyers were playing. And I'm like, oh, because we were staying over in a hotel, we had free tickets to go and see George Thorogood and the Destroyers. So I got to see one of the greatest live rock and roll bands. In the midst of doing this gig, where I'm teaching kids. That's to, cool. That's awesome. Well, rightfully, you know. That's awesome, man. It's like it's still stripped down and rebuilt any sort of 
rifle or semi-automatic weapon. And You're the person to go to when, you, uh, yeah. when the apocalypse does happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll kill you and I'll take all your shit. <laughs> I don't care who you are. But it was all because I was, you know, I was always supposed to be in the army by the time I was 18. Yeah, yeah. And I, because I had an injury, I went off to do that. The new pound death injury. Yeah, and then, you know, you, so I spent like, t- at the time I was there, I spent like a uh, just under a year there. Yeah. Just traveling around touring and, and working on these little gigs and radio and stuff. Yeah. And there. I had interesting times like, you know, hanging out with strippers at Wonderland three days with a stripper and I like the dude who I was staying with, his family was staying with, and we went off with these strippers for a couple of couple of days yeah. and then rode roller coasters and cans of Wonderland with bottles of vodka and just did all this kind of stupid shit. Is now the head of a huge American financial institution. Damn man. So, you know, good times. The past comes back to bite you in the ass. <laughs> and I would say, but I'm not going to. <laughs> he's probably never going to hear this anyway. I've spoken to him in years, but he's a lovely guy. On that note, we'll have a track, shall we? We'll have a track. Okay, cool. Well, we love these guys. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, Howell, it was great to talk to him. This is Pile Driver. They're on Engineer Records. This song is called Streets. <laughs> Genuine Laguna Hardcore for you. That was Pile Driver with Streets. Check out Constant Battles now. It's out on Engineer Records. Go to their band camp. Go to engineerrecords.com. Wherever you do, pick it up. This is Roger from Agnostic Front. You're listening to Mass Movement Presents.
Okay, let's move on then. You've been um, watching The Martian. Again. Uh, again. Yeah. Um, Mainly to piss my daughter off. <laughs> the least favourite film, is it? The least favourite film. She absolutely loves it. Because it's like, she calls Matt Damon Mr. Potato Head because of the whole, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. shit planting the potatoes. I, I think it's a fascinating I do. I really film. do. Yeah, I, I watched it. I wasn't excited for it. It was one of those movies. I, I, went, I was I was at the cinema for opening night. Were you? For, yeah. Because it was Ridley Scott? No, because I just like the idea that the premise, that, you know, what will one man stranded on Mars do to survive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what is the idea? How do you colonize the planet? How do you turn something so inhospitable into an environment in which you can successfully function? Yeah, yeah. I just love that. I absolutely love that idea. And plus, I love the idea that you know we will get to Mars. Yeah, yeah. You know, because like, um, I mean, stemming from that, like, what the first film. I remember seeing what was the miniseries on Mars was was the Martian Chronicles, the miniseries made from Ray Bradbury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ray Bradbury's book is beautiful and haunting and ethereal, and it's you know the a study in the of the worst aspects of humanity and the best aspects of humanity. Yeah. And which is kind of what the Martian is. Yeah. Know, because he is there showing the. You know, Matt Dent's character is, 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 is on Mars and he's showing the absolute best, best of humanity yeah. and the, the inventiveness what can be achieved when what you put can, your mind to it when you're in a situation that's for like you know fucking yeah 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 let's just leave him there yeah yeah basically you know? I, I like the premise and all they're worried about is the bad PR at the end of the day what if they find out he's still alive up there yeah 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 it's not about you know saving the man yeah it's about how Save this looks yeah yeah because yeah. What, the, the thing that got me with it, the premise that got me, got me because thought of being stranded in space mm. terrifies me. Really? Yeah. Do you know these like in space or on a, on, a, on a, somewhere like Mars? Uh, in space. So, so, so in so space say, in general, on a planet, <clears throat> whatever. Right, so say you've got all the supplies you need, all the oxygen you need to survive. Yeah. Does that thought still terrify you? Not so much then, but they're just. It's the idea of having to find a way to actually... I told you about fuel there. Donkey's years ago, I, I read this uh, theory that the Russians, uh, in this, during the space race, mm-hmm. before we got to the moon, the Russians had actually been up there. Yeah. And they, 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 they experimented and they'd let... You're talking about the last cosmonaut theory? Yes. Right, okay. And that terrifies me. Well, they'd let the cosmonauts... Yeah. They'd set the cosmonauts up there and the cosmonauts yeah. knew they were going to die. And couple that, right, yeah. with... <laughs> when I was a kid, Superman Bloody Two, join Zod, you yeah. land on the moon, <laughs> he poops out astronaut, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Nom, the big guy, yeah. Nom, he un- untethers the astronaut and boots him into space. Yeah, but you're, you're Nom, you're not, you're not the dude yeah. who boots into space. Yeah. But, Anybody looks at you and sees the size, you knows who you are. Yeah. You know, but you know, I just had this. Th- I was like, that guy's fl- he's an oxygen now for however long. He's just gonna be floating. Right, so, so if you see 2001 yeah what do you think about the end sequence of that film when yeah it's um it's not as haunting right but it, it's, it's not as so the end of 2001 yeah is not as haunting <laughs> as <laughs> the opening <laughs> third of Superman 2 <laughs> I think it's when you watch them I watched 2001 as an adult how much fucking acid did you bring <laughs> when you saw these films because that is <laughs> Superman 2 I watched it in the cinema and right. I was like that poor bastard he's, <laughs> he's just been kicked into space <laughs> he's been kicked in the nuts and he's flown off 
Yeah. It's not all the fuck knows where you are. where are you? What up, up, what man? So yeah, that comes from. So I have a, I have a, a regular fear of um, being kicked in the spricks. <laughs> I can't say that features very highly on my list of phobias. No, no. Somewhere between spiders, somewhere between spiders and being touched by little people's fingers. Yeah. I have that phobia of being kicked into space. <laughs> so yeah, the Martian sort of uh, played on that slightly. Right. But yeah, as you see, it does represent the best and worst of humanity. Right, in one film. And the best is... is like how he's surviving, you know, given the tools he has. And, and the... And his poop. And the woman, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not his poop, he's best as well, is it? Oh, it's no, it's not. everybody else's shit. Yeah, yeah, everybody else's shit. Yeah. potatoes and everybody yeah. else's... Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Shit, and then eats them. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of wonder, do they flavour the potatoes and yeah. all this? Does it give it, like... An extra bit of zing. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Different. <laughs> oh, nutty. Oh. oh, no. <laughs> yeah, contrast that with the people who are just down on Earth who should be trying to save his ass, but they're it's just, just sort a of... PR, it's a PR exercise. Yeah. And I, you know, the idea that maybe NASA's like that never sort of gelled with me. That's the one thing I don't like about that. Don't yeah, yeah. Because I've always thought that NASA was more than that. NASA's mission is not to save face NASA's mission is just to yeah. push against that frontier and yeah, yeah. move us forward as a species so that's the only thing I don't like about that film yeah, is, yeah. Is that, the idea that they would do that and it's just it's, I know what it is it's to give an illusion of a bad guy so you could make it the, the, the villain of the piece is bureaucracy rather than yeah yeah you've um, got to have something yeah. to play off against something yeah. yeah yeah but great movie though Ridley Scott um I'd put it quite high up there. Oh, the best Ridley Scott films? Yeah. Alien, mate. Oh, yeah, it's Alien. <laughs> but I'd put it high up on the list. i put Martian higher. Yeah, there. yeah, it's up there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. With Alien sure. and Prometheus. Yeah, yeah, cool. You've got some um, beef with White Dwarf, don't you? It's not this much beef. It's just that these days it's shit. <laughs> okay. White Dwarf was massive in the 80s. When, my dwarf, when I started reading White Dwarf... Um, it was literally one of the best magazines you could ever read. Yeah. It was all about gaming. And they, they, they didn't give a... Because it was a Games Workshop magazine. They promote the games that Games Workshop used to sell. So you'd have... Each issue would be filled with features about D&D and about Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest and all these different yeah. games. And you have different new character classes, adventures. And it was really worth reading. Now, the comic strip called Flood the Barbarian. Yeah. Which uh, was by a guy called Carl Critchlow. Yeah, yeah. It's, like a massive pistega Conan and all these sort of um, fancy stereotypes and it's yeah. still one of the funniest comic strips I've ever read and it was a wonderful magazine and then somewhere along the line Games Workshop decided that we're all going to be just about Warhammer and we're just yeah. going to be about Warhammer 40,000 and then White Dwarf becomes a flagship magazine for Warhammer, Warhammer yeah. and just and that's all it is yeah and so I think it detracts from the hobby because it doesn't let people what it doesn't do anymore is give people an opportunity to say there's more to gaming than just Warhammer yeah okay and I understand why Games Workshop have done it because that's their flagship game so they want yeah. to promote it to its zenith but, but it but just feels what like what the world has suffered because of that to m- in my mind I yeah, mean, yeah. sales wise it's probably bigger than it's ever yeah, been, yeah. but to me it was always much better 
as a compendium magazine, as a, as a magazine that drew from every aspect of gaming. Yeah. And it used to come with these incredibly beautiful painted artistic covers. That, you know, every artist who loved Frank Rosetta would paint for White Dwarf. Yeah. And it was just a magazine of grossness, and now it's like, what, now it's shut. White Dwarf was always one of those magazines in which you, you're going into the news agent back in the day, and yeah. like, it, it would pop. Mm. You'd be like, that's something I can, I can get hold of. That is, and it wasn't cheap either. No, it wasn't. It was like no, seventy-five no. pence for a pound. Yeah, it don't sound like it's a lot, right? Yeah. But back then, yeah, that was, was everything. a lot of money. Yeah. Because yeah. a pack of fags was just over a pound. So <laughs> like, oh, fags are what the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, first time I bought a pack of fags, right? Yeah. Well, I won the first time. I got busted by my girlfriend at the time, and she gave me so much shit. And she was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and she, she slapped me a fucking good one. Should have bought what was that, say? Oh yeah, but this is I'm mean, was like fifteen at the time. Right, okay. You know, something you walk in the shop like fucking big smack my hand, but I'm a pack of fags. <laughs> and you know, like fool, foolish enough to buy the fags and then fucking smoke one, and, and you walk up to like Jane's place, and she's like. Hello guys, this is Johnny from Astroturn and you are listening to Mass Movement Podcast. Okay, let's I tell you what, let's have another deep dive. Another deep dive. Another deep dive. We've done Napalm Death, Nuclear Assault, Agnostic Front. Mm-hmm. Uh now it's time to turn our attention to the accused. Oh mate. One of the greatest bands ever. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fuck. So good. Very underrated. Incredibly underrated. There, there are not in many um conversations when it comes to sort of crossover. No, they're not they don't, they don't Which is odd because they released arguably two of the greatest crossover albums of all the time. In um Martha's Spadder. More fun than looking at you know, and Martha Spat has madder stories ever told. Yeah. Uh, Martha Spat has madder stories ever told has literally the greatest crossover song on it ever. Which is? Scared of the Dark. Okay. Which starts off this incredible sort of Vincent Price intro uh, from the Tingler. All right, yeah, yeah. And then launched into this monstrous riff, like mind-bending riff that Everything then joins in. Blaine Cook's vocalist, haunting and horrific and beautiful at the same time throughout this song. And then, like three quarters of the way through, it stops. Right. And a lone female vocal takes over to sing, uh, like a bridge. Yeah, yeah. And then Blaine joins in right at the end. And then, oh, it just it's it's the the band are mind blowing. And the first time I heard them again was on. Um, Friday Rock Show, Tommy Vance's Friday Rock Show. Really? Because he went through this phase of playing like ultra fast hardcore, brutal hardcore. He went to play one song called yeah. Mechanized Death and he put the needle down another track called Take My Time. Okay. And I think he did deliberately to piss his producer off. Take <laughs> My Time. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a chorus for left words. Right, okay. Well, that's the left words. Take My Time, can't you fucking see? Take My Time, it doesn't bother me. Take My Time, you want me to be a double take my time in fucking trouble, right? So it starts off with this sort of discharged lady. Yeah. And Blake Cook starts off, and I'd never heard vocals like this in my life. It's like, 
and you feel like this the anger rides in this vocal yeah yes yeah, it's, yeah. It's absolutely palatable and you go this is this, this the anger in this song is everything i'm feeling at the moment this is to me it's it's, it's just you captured me they captured me from that point onwards yeah well actually they never like i mean they never really got the uh the plaudits they deserve I don't think I guess it's because well they stuck they weren't hardcore enough or they weren't thrash enough yeah one of the members was a bit awkward okay. and the other members didn't like them there's been a massive sort of fallout they've performed a couple of times as the original yeah. liner and it's always this one member that sort of wants more of a share of the whole thing than the rest of the band yeah um, I don't know maybe it's record distribution not getting the breaks they deserved it could be I think but they are just such a criminally underrated band it, it isn't stuff like that does take its um, toll on sort of career bands doesn't it bands yeah you know the weird thing is like this dude like Blaine who does this that's his football mm. later on becomes my friend okay know, yeah, so yeah. we get to know each other yeah yeah um, right to each other and I've interviewed him like four, five, six million nice. times um, and the other morning which is what brought the accused up in my head because as well as listening to their records at least once a week yeah. which I do um, there's a show called Mystery Diners right in which uh, this dude Charles takes his firm Mr. Diners into help restaurants who are having problems to find out what's really going on anyway Blaine, oh, okay, I know that. Yeah, Blaine yeah. owns a restaurant in Seattle okay. called Zippy's Burgers. Yeah, yeah. And they were having a ma- mascot trouble. So I'm sat there in the morning, it's like seven o'clock, I'm having coffee. I'm in the door. And like, pops up. Anyway, Zippy's Burgers, sat like, what the fuck? Uh-huh, I'm, no way. I'm on the TV, pops playing cooking. I'm like, fucking no way. That's cool, man. Um, so I watched the show about Blaine and then mentioned it on Facebook and he comes back and says, yeah, I tell you all about it, but I signed a, no- uh, not the, a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, yeah. But it's the fakest reality show you'll ever see. Uh, I, I fucking knew it because when they're doing the reveal at the end, right, I'm looking at looking at him and he stood there. And, he's, and if you don't know him, he looks normal. But if you know him, he's yeah. dying hard. He's trying <laughs> so hard not to piss himself yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the accused man, they are such a good band. Top, uh, top album, best the album, best album. Martha's Magic Stories ever told, okay. and then followed by more fun than Oldcastle Funeral. So, 1988's Martha, Sprouthead's Man of Stories Ever Told. Yeah. And more fun than Open Ones, which is 1987. Yeah. Both out on Combat Rebels. Yeah. Nice. They are just. So, you, you, you don't know the accused, do you? I, yeah, I go into these way late. Um, yeah, again, because I think I, I felt I'm probably guilty of being that person. They were either hardcore enough or thrash enough. They kind yeah. of didn't quite know where to put them. But when right. I did um, eventually check them out, I checked out the Return of Martha uh, Spathead. Yeah. Um, enjoyed that, and I sort of dived into more of them. Then um, they got more. I hate to say, it, I think they got more bad albums than good. But the ones that are good are really good. Uh, I think they kind of lost their way after. Yeah. Of stories over top. Then the comeback records been brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Brilliant. It's the nineties ones. They got a bit lost in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they disappeared on a too metally road, maybe. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just sort of lost their identity. Yeah, I, I, I had a lot of bands. Did, I don't think they? it's down to Blaine or Alex at the time. I hmm. think it's down to uh, Tommy. Okay. Because Tommy Niedermeyer, the guitarist, went on to form Gruntrop. Yeah, yeah. 
which was part of the Seattle yeah yeah and I'm a good truck, yeah. so I think Tommy was sort of trying to find a way to be famous yeah yeah maybe and to ride across the way the other members of the band just wanted to play music and yeah. just wanted to play what came from their hearts and that's the difference and I think that's the reason the accused have never had the plaudits to say they deserve to come back or returns of force which they should be because hmm. one member always wants the band to be famous yeah. always wants fame is more important to him than anything else than anything else and that's just so disappointing to me. well a lot of bands right now I mean you could have solved the same happened to them I think mm. I think there was members that sort of wanted to take you know, a different and then Dan, Dan Nilko was like new <coughs> yeah. and then they, they went down the pan yeah. death to a point um, I just think with death it was more like Chuck found, that he, found out that he could play and he wanted to push yeah. The envelope, but I don't think it was a case of them not. They went a different road. They went yeah. sort of more technical. Yeah. So guitar, See, you know, guitar players will be impressed, but for somebody who just wants bludgeoning riffs, death lost me after leprosy. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there's, and I still maintain their best album is Scream Bloody Gore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just the sound of bang off. Oh, let's just, <laughs> let's just go. It's like um, Sepultura. Yeah. I can't stand anything after Beneath Remains. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the accused man, they are just for me top five crossover band of all time. Excellent. Easily. Maybe top three. So go check check out the accused. Buy every album. <laughs> Start with uh Madder Stories Ever Told. And more fun than Gasp Funeral, because those albums will literally tear your face off. Yes. In all a right. good way. Cool man. Hi, this is Barney Veer from Night Farm Death, and through my many years of association, you're listening to Mass Movement. Right, as promised, I spoke to uh, former Anthrax singer, current Armoured Saint singer, John Bush, on the eve of the new album, Punch in the Sky. Uh, it was great to talk to John, I've been a long-time fan, and uh, here's what he had to say. Hi John, how are you, okay? Hi Chris, good, how are you doing, man? Yeah, not so bad, not so bad. Uh, lovely to speak to you. Thanks for your, uh, for your time. So, uh, yeah, I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, Armour Saint, the new albums. That's great. Excellent, okay. Then. So, I didn't, I didn't realise, but you're, sort of, you're fast approaching 40 years of Armoured Saint. Did you, I mean, did you ever envision a band you formed in your late teens lasting this long? Well, um, probably not at that point in my life. Um, I... <laughs> Um, I, I think that what I tell people is that I think, like, in our, in our mind, in our fantasy mind back then, we probably, we yearn to have longevity, because a lot of our heroes, even back then in the 80s, um, you know, it's funny, because, like, the Stones and the Who and people like that, we're like, we want to be around as long as they are, and then I laugh, because those people are still Billy you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous, you know, but I think even back then, our philosophy was that's trying to be around for a long time and have a long career. And, um, you know, that's that's something that we always aspire to do. So, you know, the thing is, is that when it comes to, to anything in the arts, music, culture, you know, um, uh, you know entertainment of any sort, acting, uh, whatever, you know, being an artist, um, you, you just don't know about what is going to connect with people and, and how you're going to achieve fame and how to I mean you could have goals and plans but the truth of the matter is that you just don't know you just don't know it's not but it's 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 just a you're it's a crapshoot anytime you do anything in this in this particular world so um I think that we've become 
very accustomed to feeling okay with that and just feeling like it's all about really just controlling the things we can control and primarily that's music that we make that's really the number one thing obviously yeah and um and then after that you kind of just you have to just let it go and you know if it's just forward or me and you just say hey you know this is i believe in this i love this we did great you know and hopefully it'll connect with people and um you know i think that's kind of been our philosophy since probably you know maybe the 90s or the simple salvation because that kind of mentality, I think, really started in simple. Well, in the 80s, and the first three records that we made, yeah. um, you know, our theory was, yeah, we're going to be the biggest band in the world, oh, yeah, we're going to be, you know, playing arenas, blah, 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 and, you know, the harshness of the reality of the music business that you and you're <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, wait, what happened? You know, we were supposed to be the biggest band in the world. You know, and then life kicks in, and reality kicks in. So, sure, you have yeah. to have a, a different mindset, and then having that, that mindset of having a long career, I think, is um, it, it just takes on a different kind of view. Okay, I mean, you, you spoke Sorry, about I'm a sort long of answer. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, it's, it's great. Um, you spoke about sort of reality kicking in and everything. Um, with uh, the pandemic at the moment, uh, you played your first show, or you played a show recently in the Whiskey. Was that your first show you've done uh, since the pandemic? Yeah, the last show we did before that was on the Mega Cruise, actually. So it was about a year ago. Wow, okay. Um, we did a little run with UFO here and on the west coast of the U.S., and then we finished it off doing the Mega Cruise. And uh, that was the last time that we played. So, um, and granted, we probably weren't going to do too many shows because we were concentrating on making the record and writing, finishing the record. And um, my kind of the way I like to do it is I want people to hear the record before we actually go out and do shows. So, Sure. Um, so people know the material, so they're not just saying, you know, they're, I'm, they're, you know, obviously bands go out before records are out, and that helps promote the record. And there's there's no real proper way you could do whatever you want, of course. But um, for me, I just always feel like it's it's good when people know the material. So when we start playing these songs, they're like, I know this song, I love this song. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. But, um, How did the yeah, whiskey was, show go? Was, I mean, uh, the last shows were. I was just going to say, the last shows we did were the Mega Cruise, and, and we had to put all our stuff away, like my in-air system and Joey's in-air system was in this bin that was at Gonzo's house, and um, apparently got, like, there was some rain or something that got in, and so we, like, uh, we opened up our stuff, and it was, like, all molded, and we were wondering oh, no. if it was going to work. <laughs> so, um, in the end, it was fine, but it really still smells. How did the whiskey show go? I mean, obviously, there was no there was no um, crowd there. Um uh, you know, you, you do a lot of the crowd interaction. So, I mean, you know, did you really miss that? Yeah, I, I, you know, we, it was just a different uh, perspective. You, we knew what we were dealing with, or we, we thought we knew what we were dealing with. Um, I, I kind of equate it with just like maybe doing a music video or a little bit like a glorified rehearsal. Okay, um, yeah. Because that's really what it was. Because there's no crowd, so you know, I like to be one on one with the audience. Anyway, that's just kind of my approach as a singer and yeah. and the banter that I that I create. Then um, I kind of did the same thing. It was just the, the talking into the camera, but um, I thought it was pretty good. I thought we did a good job, and we rocked out, and we knew people were watching. We did our best, and and we we had fun. Um, yeah, it was a little unusual, of course. There's nobody there. I think just my wife and, and Tracy Vera and Joey's wife yeah. were there. Um, and the crew. And then that was it, you know? So 
um, our agent and Davida, but that was it, you know. So we rolled with it. We, we knew what we were getting into. And at this point, we're all just trying to kind of improvise to get something for people to be able to watch and um, to be able to participate as musicians. And especially when you make a new record, and you, you want to go out and play those new songs. And you can't yes. wait, right? Even in rehearsal, we were all excited. So um, it's kind of a shame because now we've got nothing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we learned these songs. But, um, you know, the cool thing is we, we didn't play a long, long set. We did like maybe an hour or something. Yeah. Um, technically speaking, we could probably do a whole other set with all different songs. And um, maybe we'll do that. Like maybe we'll go, okay, here's the next live streaming. It's all different material and uh, for the most part and, um, and, and do it again because I, I just don't know when performing is going to happen and it's a shame yeah it really is yeah i mean there's a lot of bands struggling to you know sort of keep putting content out there and this is a way of doing it so it was uh i was glad to see you guys being able to do something at least yeah it's um you know it's uncharted territories for everybody and, and everyone's just trying to figure out what to do and, and hoping for the best and um I, you know i guess in the sense that it's a pandemic at least there's kind of a collective uh way that we all kind of can relate because we just there's everyone's in the same scenario you know? Course, yeah. um, the scenario is we don't know when we'll be able to really have proper shows like for instance we're trying to book a tour here on the west coast of the u.s i like i talked to our agent and I'm like, let's just book something and he said that's a good idea because you just want to put it on the books yeah. in the event that it happens so that's kind of what we're doing we're you know it's just our first step to to doing something, so we we we're, uh, we're we're trying to maybe plan something for April, and it's maybe like ten shows up and down the coast, and okay. and just see if that's something that we can do because you don't want to wait too long because if some if if everything some opens up and people say okay we're going to allow shows, it's going to be a mad dash for everyone to try to get gigs. It. So yeah, um, you, you want to kind of get in there and, and hold something even if it's not going to happen, and you know what, it, it probably isn't. But it just, it kind of also gives us something to kind of hope for, you know, and maybe plan for. And, Keeps and, the positivity and, going, I suppose, yeah? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, um, in the meantime, you know, we made some videos. We made two videos. Actually, we made a third video that's really awesome as well. And it's coming out on the day of the, the record being released. And I'm really excited about this new one. And, you know, we're fortunate that Metal Blade is, is wanting to make these videos with us. And, you know, it's 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 another option to get ourselves out there, and um, you know, we're just we're trying to improvise. Yeah, <laughs> like everybody. yeah, yeah. That's right. So your new album, um, Punching the Sky, comes out next week. Um, so was this written in lockdown, or did the uh, COVID nineteen has it affected the, the process in any way? No, it did. We were fortunate in that case where we were we're actually done recording and um when when we were all supposed to shut down okay so um we were done we gave the the mixes to jay rustin who mixed the album and he was able to do his thing in his own kind of quarantine scenario and uh, as i said before he probably doesn't didn't even want us there i'm sure he wouldn't because you know, it would just be a nuisance most likely <laughs> guys want to mix it without the band present you yeah. know just done you know and um and it was great. Jay is amazing. We took what Joey recorded already and, and just really enhanced it. And, uh, you know, the record, I think, sonically is just awesome. And, um, 
and uh, you know it's it's we were fortunate we had some good luck on that so you know it's weird how songs kind of take on different meanings when different things happen in life and, yeah um, the way I like to write is in a way where a song can actually change the the, the concept of the song based on the things that are happening in life and, um, that's happened a lot lately and it's I, I dig it it's it's weird how like you know, for instance, we have a song called Bubble, and it's, you know, that was not really the premise at all to do with, with COVID. Well, okay, but yet, yeah. That's the term that's being used all the time, and it was only something that I had written about in, in, some, in relation to something else, but it also kind of took on this whole new meaning. New meaning, yeah, because of That's the term, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was cool. I like how, that, how things like that happen in life, and um, it's kind of art imitating life, and back and forth and it's really cool yeah I was going to say that about um, end of the attention span I thought it could um, can take on several sort of meanings in the moment as well sure you know I mean we you know it's a great song and concept and the theory of how all of obviously technology is just kind of it's, it's affecting all of us it's certainly yeah. affecting the youth of of, uh, of you know, that's the future, I think, but it does us as adults as well, and, and we struggle with it, you know, and I, I, the way to try to fight balance, I think that's the key to it all is balance, you know, that's, because um, you don't want to be uh, opposed to technology, there's amazing aspects of it, it's just finding the, the way of utilizing it and not letting it consume you, and that's, that's something we all struggle with as human beings, and, um, you know, opportunity to poke a little fun at society and yeah. <laughs> you know uh, how it, it you know it's distracting you know like I, I, my wife in, I, she, I'm technically an idiot I really am I'm just like <laughs> I'm technology we're, we just do not go hand in hand I'm getting better but it's, it's still pretty bad and um, you know I still like writing with a pencil you know I'm like yeah. that's where I'm at but um, but you know obviously like I said you need technology but I, you know, I'll be texting, doing something, and just kind of enthralled in it, and and she's getting my trying to get my attention, and yeah, you know, like John, John, I'm trying to talk to them about something, and I'm just like, da, 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 trying to type something, um, you know, and it's just, and then she'll yell at me or something. It's funny, but um, yeah, you know, it's I, I do get concerned about how this is all going to affect my kids and the future societies and agree, you yeah. know what's going to happen in like 30 years you know that's like really kind of a terrifying daunting kind of <laughs> perspective things but change so fast we'll these carry days. on somehow yeah yeah things change so fast Sorry? these days yeah you're right i mean in another 30 years um where will we be then yeah but um, I, I it saw, is, it's I, really rapid yeah 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 i saw the joey recently um it said that there was an effort to, to concentrate more on catchy choruses for this album. Uh, was he just talking from a musical standpoint, or was that? Uh, did you look for that in the vocals too? Well, I think that we we just write the best material that we possibly can, and um, yeah. you know, when I sing something like that, I'm I, I'm I'm kind of creating like a duh scenario because of course you do, right? Of course that's that's always the goal, right? To write the best materials. So yeah. I think it's you know I mean that's a not that's a given, right? Um, but I think that it, as time goes by, you kind of get to 
know what really works and what doesn't and what really is a great song maybe what is not you know what maybe something that you could have capitalized on so um i think as as we as we improve as writers we we start realizing the things that actually maybe have more of an impact on on the audience than others do and um, and then I guess we start focusing on, on really trying to embellish those things. So, um, you know, you can have a great chorus and have a, a hooky chorus without it being, you know, this big anthem, March of the Saint kind of song. Don't yeah. get me wrong, love March of the Saint, but it's, um, it's almost like a football chant kind of song where, you know, the, the theory is on it and obviously gets you know, everybody singing, but the reality is that... Um, it doesn't always have to be that. It could be a hooky chorus with it like it just being a singing chorus. Like for instance, the song Never You Friend, which I think is a really cool chorus, but it's not one is, you know, in the same capacity that like say, um, you know, End of the Attention Span is or, or Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. Yeah. It's not big in the obvious way. It's more of a moving chorus. And, I see. Um, and, and, just, and just, it, it just kind of goes with that kind of groove of the song so um you know i i i sometimes i think the songs they kind of write themselves you know like you get the ball rolling and you know the, the basic standard of what a, a good armored saint song is a good groove obviously the, the rhythm of the you know the, the groove and the rhythm of the groove um and then also um uh you know, uh, some bluesy, you know, powerful, soulful vocals, yeah. and, um, you know, a great riff. And, I mean, if you have some of those things, then chances are it's just all going to end up being a pretty good song. So Sure, yeah. So you mentioned um, well, the newest single is uh, Stand on the Shoulders of Giants. Um, the thing that stood out for me for, for that was the uh, the bagpipe work, the Yulian uh, the Yulian Pipes, is it, by Patrick Darcy. Can you tell us a little bit about that track? Yeah, you know, it, that's the longest song on the record. We didn't necessarily, we, we kind of tried to strive to have not as long a songs as we had on some uh, on Wind, because we did have a couple long tracks, which I love, uh, in an instant, Muscle Memory, I think they'd be amazing songs, but, you know, we were kind of like, let's try to be a little more concise with the songs, and of course, as we say that, in the end, we ended up starting the record with the longest song of the record, which is kind of, you know, funny, but um, it just felt like the right, opener. You know, even when Joey was like, I think we should open with Giants. I was like, really? It's the longest song. And he's like, I know, but I don't care. It's just, it just, it's the one. I said, okay. Yeah. So, um, so we ran with it and, and having that intro with the pipes and just the, the feeling of, of what that song captivates, um, it just, it, it just, it felt great. And it felt right. And it just sounded like, um, it was just, you know, like I said, capturing everybody's kind of focus. And um, I think it's it's a kind of song that it, it it's very powerful and it has this kind of strong, big, you know, uh, chorus part in it, but yeah. also um, it just goes again with the groove of, of what Armored Saint is kind of known for. And, um, and you know, it, it's it's an epic type song. It certainly has those kind of feelings of, yeah. you know, it has a cool breakdown and then it gets moody and then it builds back up. Um, and, but I think in the end, you know, it's it's the kind of song that it sounds like a classic type of Armored Saint song. So yeah, in the end, so. it sounded like the proper song to open a record with. And 
um, even though it was just came in right under seven minutes, <laughs> um, <laughs> which you know it's pretty long. But um, in the end, I think it all kind of worked itself out. So sure. I, I think it's a great tune, and you know, I'm real proud of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great. So you've also got um, Guns N' Roses keyboard keyboard player Dizzy Reed um, guesting on the album. I I can't imagine Guns N' Roses and Armored Saint having much to do with each other. How do you guys know Dizzy? Um, well, I have never actually met Dizzy. I would love to meet him, but okay. I have not yet. He's um, pretty good buddies with Jeff Duncan, guitar player on right. Armored Saint, of course. And um, Jeff's done a couple different things with him. I think in conjunction with his own project and uh, with the more he has it's called um, uh, uh, Hookers and Blow I think he's done some things with oh, them oh yes yeah oh, and, um, yeah and so um, I, I I don't remember whose idea it was it might even have been Joey's idea believe it or not that didn't play on it but we did want we have some couple songs and a couple moments where we thought keyboards would certainly you know enhance the song and, uh, and he ended up being contacted and and was willing to do it and we were grateful because he's very talented and he obviously has a name and, and the business and um, so he, you know, was, we were just honored that he played on it and did some really cool stuff with the uh, piano and, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just talented and, and just you know, like I said doing those kind of things adding those other instruments like the pipes and, and the keys um, you know those are kind of things that you know in, in our, the yesteryear of Armour singing we'd probably be reluctant to do because um, I remember thinking every everything was always about how we would reproduce it live. Can I sing that live? Can I? If I can't do it, I'm not going to do it on the record. Of course, everything yeah, has yeah. to be the way it is live. And if if I can't do it or we can't, who's going to play keyboards? We're not taking a keyboard player. So, and then we used to that was the kind of theory, especially in the early days. But you know, as we go up a little bit, we realize you know what? It doesn't really matter. Don't worry about that. Let's just make the record as amazing as it can be and if these yeah. are moments and things and instruments that can help that then let's just do it and because the record as I've said before to people is immortal that's the thing that lives on forever a show you know we'll, we'll figure it out when we get to it you know how we'll do that and, um, but you know let's not let's not limit ourselves on the record by tr- wanting to put something on but worried about how we could reproduce it live so um, that's kind of been the philosophy in the last couple of records more on this one than ever and I think it just uh, you know, like I said it's it's more about making the record this kind of timeless thing and and doing whatever we want as far as instrumentation and uh, different instruments that, that we could utilize on it and then you know we'll, we'll cross the live bridge when we get to it but um, having like I said Dizzy having the pipes having um, the flute intro that Gonzo played on Never You Fret even on our childhood friends, um, son Jacob Aiello, do this marching drum intro. It was really yeah. cool to bring him in the studio. And a kid of a friend of ours who is a rap drummer himself, and it was just doing those kind of things. Uh, they just kind of embellish our records. And you know, we were we were open to that. I mean, we had the intro of Tribal Dance back on Symbol of Salvation, 1991, yeah. uh, brought in a percussionist, and he did this cool intro. So I think these are the things that. Um, it just broadens our sound, and, and we're, we're much more open-minded to those things than we were, say, in 1984, when sure. it was just all two guitars, bass, drum, yeah. metal, you know? <laughs> metal. <laughs> which was great, which was great then. You know, yeah, yeah. That was, that was where we were at, so it's just, we're somewhere else, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. 
So I always see you as one of those, you know, one of those rare breed of vocalists that joined an already popular band, but still managed to split fans right down the middle in terms of their favourite vocalist. Obviously, I'm talking about your time in Anthrax. What do you think you brought to the Anthrax that people brought, that people took to? What I brought to Anthrax? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think I just brought my voice. You know, I think that was probably the thing that you know I would say would be the first, the starting point. Um, obviously, when you change singers in a band, it's going to change sound. Um, no matter what anyone wants to sing, unless you like truly emulate and sound almost identical to the to the person that you're replacing. But you know, let's say so Joey Belladonna and John Bush's voices are really different. Yeah, you know, they're very different. Um, so. Um, it's going to change the sound of the band. It's just, it's it's impossible not to. Um, it's a voice. You know, it's not like bringing in, a, no, no disrespect to bass players, but it's not like bringing in a bass player and going, you know, play that same part. You know, their style oh. might be different, but it's just not going to be like a voice. You know? yeah. Or even a guitar, that might change a bit too. But, um, you know, same with drumming, you know, certainly styles may change. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, a voice is just extremely distinct. And so I think that's that happened. And I think that, I think you know, for a long time when I was in Anthrax, we, we kept trying to convince the public that it was the same band. And of course it was to some degree, of course, it was Scott, Charlie, and Frankie. Yeah. But it, it was a different voice and it did create a different sound. And because of that, um, it, it just changed the sound of the band. Um, and, and it kind of went along with the, the 90s and, and everything that was kind of, kind of morphing into a new decade. And, um, and we ran with it, and I think that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, you know, old school purists, and I'm the same because I'm a fan myself. And you know, people sometimes struggle with with bands that kind of kind of change their style a little bit, or kind of grow a little bit with what's happening. And you know, there's opposition to that for for the purists, and I get it. I do. I really do. But. It was what happened, and I think that we we kind of rolled with it, and um, so I think that's something that you know we that we that we in retrospect we just we, we did, and um, and you know probably a lot of it had to do with my my voice. Yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah. So, so there seems to be like um, an undying sort of loyalty to Armored Saints, not just by you, but the other guys too. I mean, you had the opportunity to join Metallica, that Joey did. And when you did join Anthrax, after initially splitting, you came back to Armored Saint. What is it that always pulls you back to Armored Saint, and what does the band mean to you now? Well, it's weird. I guess it's like this weird mafia that Armored Saint has. It really is. It's like this kind of crazy blood oath that we all <laughs> <laughs> must have. Yeah. It's, like, you know, it's like the scene in The Godfather when, you know, you can't... Um, you can't like um, you know leave the fan. You can't go against the family. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know. I think that like there is that, and it's it is kind of a really beautiful thing, albeit maybe dysfunctional and a little sick at the same time. <laughs> um, but but I think that there is this, this undying loyalty that just kind of goes back to when we were kids because that's when it all started. And Close, yeah.
you know, things get you know kind of dicey. And mm. I, I, I mean, how could it not? We're talking about 50 years, so that's a long time. But um, in the end, I think there is this love for this thing, and it's the band, and um, we try to keep it together. And even when I left, and you know, there was still this kind of feeling about it that it was a special thing, especially right after when Dave died and we made Simple Salvation and everything yeah. that went into that. And, you know, I felt guilt, you know, obviously by leaving the band. And, um, I think it was the right thing I had to do at that time, but probably felt bad about it and guilty and like I was obviously letting people down. And um, I don't know, it's it's just something we came to help and, you know, we are here and it's the same time, you know, other than Dave, you know, it's just like five dudes. And, um, you know, it's a joke that Jeff is the new guy and came in 
kind of, you know, there's some tragedy and a little yeah. bit of abuse. And, you know, the stories are probably very similar, and, like I said, in theory, but um, but the Arlington story is, is, a, is a good one, nevertheless. And, um, you know, that, like it back to what I was saying with kind of undying loyalty thing and this, um, you know, this childhood friendship, which I think is probably a little different than most relationships. And, and um, you know, we were, we were lucky by the time we were 20, we experienced so much because we had already been connected for so long that even, you know, we had, we had done a lot. And I remember by the time we had finished our, there's a funny story. We were, we were on the road for our third album was raising raising fear and I think we got in like a beef with the, the sound man who was working for us and the yeah. tour was kind of struggling and he got pissed at us and he was like you guys are done with your pants so you guys are <laughs> over and it was like oh my god like there was like a dagger to the soul by him saying that and I looked back and I'm like we're 24 years old like <laughs> so young kids yeah yeah like if somebody said that to me now I'd be like oh you're right man I, I like, yeah yeah now. <laughs> but like, but like, then we were pops. We were just like little kids. Of course, yeah. So much because because we started so young. So um, it's just funny. I, I laugh at that. Of course, I mentioned at the time. I didn't. It was, it was very very painful what he said. But it was <laughs> and now it's funny. But, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we. I think this. You know, there is there's an interesting story to the Armstrong story. And I think so. Yeah, definitely. Running with it. Yeah. You know, um, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. I'm excited for that. So finally, um, are we like to are we likely to see? I mean, COVID obviously depending. Is there any plans to come to the UK at all for next year or? Oh, well, we'd love to. You know, we we we're due for a UK run. We're due for a, a proper Europe run. Uh, there's a lot of territories in Europe with normal sense, but we really haven't played properly. Like we've never really played like uh, the south of France, and you know. We're, We've done the one show in our whole career in, in Spain at the Barcelona Metal Fest. Okay. Uh, I love Spain. I have great shows there. With, uh, with obviously, you know, we, you know, we, we could certainly we're due to do another proper tour of, of the UK and playing Wales, you know, back to Glasgow. And, um, you know, so um, there's a lot of places to play here. And we've never even done a proper uh, run of, of Scandinavia. Like, we did one show with Sweden Mark Festival like 2000 and, or something and we never played Oslo and, or Helsinki. Oh, wow. you know? These are places that you have to all the time with Anthrax. So there's still a lot of territory that Armistane hasn't played and, or hasn't played in years Yeah, and it would be nice to play these places. Um, I don't feel like it's imperative that we cram it all in in the first two months but, um, but you know, I... I you know, I I want to play these territories that I haven't played in a long time. Um, luckily for me, I always say that being in a band was kind of like my college education, and it, yeah. it enabled me to travel, and it's always an eye-opening experience. Um, the world is is this giant vast place that is just that offers so many things. So traveling is great, and traveling is being affected so badly by what's happening with with the stupid virus and, and, and they like affect it for years to come you know and but it's again I don't worry when people are like oh people aren't going to travel the same I'm like bullshit you know no <laughs> way <laughs> like, so I mean we just have to adjust to this thing and adapt to it and hopefully get a vaccine and yeah. I should be able to line with it because you know I'm a musician so I'd probably be willing you know, as long as it's fairly safe 
Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so definitely. I make, the, I make the joke of like, I've already done so many things to my body that I'm bad. What's this thing? <laughs> What's one more thing? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that scene, I'd be, you know, be reluctant to give it to my kids because the future is much longer than mine. But for me, bring it on, probably. Yeah, I think so, yeah. All right, John, well, thank you for your time. It's been lovely to speak to you. Yeah, great to talk to you, too. Thanks for thanks for all the support. Really, really nice to chat. Hopefully, uh, enjoy the record. Yeah, well, definitely will. Yeah. Put some headphones on. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Yeah, be safe, okay? And you stay safe. Bye bye now. There you have it. The man himself, the legend. That was John Bush, former singer of Anthrax, now back with his his original band, Armored Saint, with their new album, Punch in the Sky, which is out now on Metal Blade Records. Go check it out. Let's have some shout-outs for you, Tim. Yeah, shout-out to Blaine Cook from The Accused, because Blaine rules, and the band just changed my life. <laughs> um, shout-out David uh, from Engineer Records. Um, go check out their website. Go, go check out Earth Island Books while you're there as well, and pick up a, a copy of Compression by none other than Tim Kendall. You won't regret it. Shout-out to my mate Doug, and Doug knows why. Okay, and we leave that there. Strippers and Canada's Wonderland. <laughs> okay, and, and uh, shout out to Jane for. I should have said, dude, you know, you, if you should have stopped me buying those fags at the time. Cause <laughs> it was only 20 years of expense. Shout out Jane <laughs> from back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end. So uh, we'll see you again down the line. We will. Take it easy. Bye bye. Ta ta. Movement possess. Movement presents.